0: turn with me to the New Testament book of Luke. We're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 24. It's the the last chapter of the book of Luke. Um, Last Sunday uh, we looked at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It took place almost exactly 2,000 years ago. Uh, It was Passover week, uh, last week, it was also, as, as, we, as we looked at the event of the triumphal entry, it was also Jesus' last week on earth. Uh, if you know the story, on, on Thursday, he and his disciples would have had their last supper together. It's the night he, he would have been betrayed by Judas. On Good Friday, he was crucified on a Roman cross for claiming to be God. Now, he was not crucified for being a good teacher He was not crucified for performing miracles. He was crucified for claiming to be God. On Saturday, uh, his lifeless body was laid in a cavernous tomb enclosed by a giant boulder. But on the first day of the week, as we see in verse 1 of chapter 24, would have been Sunday. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They, the three women, Mary Magdalene and a woman named Joanna, a disciple of Christ, and Mary, the mother of James, we, we see down in verse 10. That's who is being spoken of here. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. We'll stop there this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, would you pray with me? Yes, Holy Spirit, we believe that this is your word, inspired, inerrant, and absolutely necessary for our salvation and our sanctification. Lord, would you do those things among us? Would this be a day of salvation? Would this be a day as well, Lord, where your church is transformed and conformed more into the image of Christ? because it's our delight to look like him, our risen king. Jesus, it's in your name we pray, amen. So we're looking at verse one through nine, verses one through nine of chapter 24. And I have, I have to admit, um, I've struggled this week in preparing something to share, not because the resurrection of Christ is without content, or without inspiration, but just the opposite, in fact. The the resurrection of Christ, church, is the hinge point of the entire biblical story. It is the linchpin for the whole of our Christian faith. So who cares if Jesus was born of a virgin if he did not rise like he said he would? Who cares That he was a powerful teacher and a miracle worker if he did not, in fact, have power over the grave. So, hear me, hear me. The empty tomb, the tomb being empty and Jesus being alive is the event upon which Christianity stands or falls. It all hangs on this. Now, you can see why I was a little intimidated. (laughs) What do I say? The Apostle Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that if the resurrection of Christ did not happen, you and I are a bunch of fools for being here right now. Now, I don't know uh, each and every one of you. I barely feel like I know myself at times. I don't know where you stand. You may be a devout believer, a devout follower of Christ. You may call yourself a Christian. This morning, when in reality, Jesus is not the center of your life, and therefore you're not a Christian. Sorry. We'll get to good news later. You may be indifferent toward Jesus. You may be an all-out atheist. All that said, welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. Welcome to the church gathering. So no matter where each of us land, it doesn't, it doesn't matter where we land. The gravity of Easter Sunday remains the same. It is inescapable. If Jesus is not risen, then we are nuts for worshiping him. Conversely, if Jesus is in fact alive, and I wholeheartedly believe this to be true, then you and I are nuts for not throwing ourselves down at his feet in exaltation we are nuts if we don't do that at early dawn the Sunday after Passover the the day that that this is all transpiring in, in Luke 24 it's the first day of the week three women arrive at the tomb in which the body of Jesus was laid just two days prior Right. so after Jesus' crucifixion a man named Joseph from the town of Arimathea. He negotiated and secured Jesus' body. He prepared it for burial, and then he laid it in a tomb. But because Jesus, uh, excuse me, Joseph, because this Joseph was a member of the council who voted for Jesus' execution, even though Joseph was opposed to executing Jesus, because Jesus, or Joseph, gosh, too many J's, because Joseph was on that very council, these women, these three women didn't trust Joseph. That's why they're going to the tomb, right? It's Sunday, the Sabbath day of rest is over, and they arrive at the tomb with spices and ointments in hand because they didn't trust Joseph. They want to make certain that Jesus' body is adequately prepared for burial. So the book of Mark records that these women, they weren't entirely sure how they were even going to get into the tomb. Uh, It was sealed by a massive boulder, uh, surprisingly, though, as they arrive, as we see, the stone has already been rolled away. But the only problem is that Jesus' body isn't inside. That's a, that's a, that's a big issue. Now, the book of John tells us, That as these women peer into the cold, dark tomb, they see the fine linens that had been wrapped around Jesus' body by Joseph. They're lying folded on the ground, but as for the body, again, it's nowhere to be found. Okay, so just put your head in this space with me for a second. Just picture it with me. These women are already in mourning. For the past three years, they had followed Jesus all throughout the region of Galilee. They had learned from him. They had watched him feed 4,000 people and 5,000 people with just a single serving, a couple of fish and some bread. Mary Magdalene, one of these three women, had been freed from demon possession by Jesus. All three of these women had supported Jesus' ministry prayerfully and financially. Jesus was their friend. He was their leader. Jesus was these women's Lord. And his body is gone. Now, I've heard stories of fallen soldiers. I've heard stories of avalanche victims whose bodies are are never recovered, I've heard, I've not experienced, I've heard how torturous it is for these grieving families to never experience the closure of a burial. If you've experienced this, I I am so sorry. And this morning you have, uh, more than any of us, the ability to relate with these women as they stare in disbelief into an empty grave. These, these women are, are no doubt, they're, they're confused. As you, imagine, as you can imagine, broken hearted, they're angry, they're wondering what could have happened to the body. Was this a joke? Was it a hoax? Was this some sort of conspiracy? Critics of the resurrection certainly think this was a hoax. Still, ancient critics, modern critics of the resurrection chalk this up to a hoax. The fact is this, though. No one, not ancient critics, not modern, no one argues that the tomb wasn't empty. The tomb was empty. The question among scholarship that's been buzzing the planet for the last 2,000 years is what happened to the body? The tomb was empty, but what happened to Jesus' body? Some critics think that the Pharisees stole it. Some think that the Romans stole the body. But for both of those groups, the Pharisees and the Romans, this would have been counterintuitive. The reason being is because both groups, the Pharisees and the Romans, they wanted Christianity to be snuffed out. They wanted Christianity to fizzle out, not thrive, due to rumors of a resurrection. Listen, if the Romans or the Pharisees had had the body, they could have, and you can bet would have, put an immediate end to Christianity by proving that Jesus did not raise from the dead. Some critics think that, the, that thieves stole Jesus' body, but for some reason... Uh, they left the really valuable linens uh, lying folded on the floor of the tomb, which everybody saw, you know, right there, the, the really expensive linens, not to mention, if you're a thief, you could have gone to the Pharisees or the Romans to sell the body for a small fortune. Everyone was looking for it. Many critics think that Jesus' disciples took the body. But this, of all of the arguments and theories, is the most logically unsound of them all. So, throughout history, there have been plenty of people willing to die for something they believed to be true. For instance, the pilots on 9-11... Plenty of people have been willing to die for something they believed to be true. But the disciples went on to die excruciating deaths. Peter was crucified upside down. James was clubbed to death. Bartholomew was flayed. He was skinned alive. Andrew and Philip crucified. Thomas gored by spears, Simon, sawn in half, John, boiled in oil, and he survived, the only survivor. All of them faced these deaths due to preaching that Jesus of Nazareth had written. Now, many people are willing to die for something they believe to be true, But if the disciples were in on taking the body, if they knew it was a hoax, sweet mercy to go that length in playing a joke, skinned alive, without recanting. These men saw something. These disciples saw something that changed our world as we know it. Our calendar revolves around this event, B.C., A.D. As one scholar points out, it is psychologically untenable to believe that these men died these deaths for something they knew was a hoax. The same scholar writes this, as difficult as it may be for the modern mind to accept, the apostles' historical claim that Jesus rose bodily from the dead, offers the only logical answer to the question, where did the body go? The historical bodily resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is forced upon us not by faith, he writes, not by wishful thinking, but by the preponderance of evidence. Now back to the women at the tomb. Confused, they are broken hearted. They are angry. They are asking what could have happened to the body. And then in a moment, much to their fearful amazement, in verse 4, two men appear in dazzling apparel. And they weren't Elvis impersonators. These were angels. Only Luke mentions two of them. Matthew and Mark mention only the one angel who speaks on behalf of the two. Both of them in dazzling apparel. And it's like, it's like the moon. The moon does not radiate its own light. It reflects it from the sun. These angels were reflecting the very glory of our creator. The women are freaked out, as I would be. <laughs> And similar to the prophet Isaiah, when he found himself in a similar situation, these women get really low. They get on their faces. And then the angel asks these women, possibly my favorite question in the entire Bible in verse five, a question that we're going to spend the remainder of our time considering. Why do you seek the living among the dead? I'll put it in a modern vernacular. Why are you looking for life in a graveyard? Verse 6 Jesus is not here. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. Now, this never happens to me, but men, to those of you who are married, does your wife ever ask you to get something for her, like out of the closet or the cupboard? She tells you exactly where this item is. So you go and look for it. (laughs) This never happens to me. (laughs) You go look for it. Only to come back and report that, honey, it's mysteriously not there. What you have just sent me looking for, this item, I'm doing you a favor. I went and looked. I looked really hard. I didn't find it. And then she asked me again, oh no, maybe you, not me. (laughs) This doesn't happen to me, right? Uh, uh, Did you really look, honey, is her question. And she rolls her eyes and she gets up and she goes right to the exact location she described. But this time... It's mysteriously there. <laughs> Maybe uh, I mean, I can't relate, but you know I can imagine that you probably looked really hard, husbands, right? These women are having this kind of moment right now with the angels in verse six. They're like, "Why are you looking for Jesus here?" It's been three days. How many times did he tell you that on the third day after his death, he wouldn't be here? Why do you keep looking here? And the angels are right. I mean, if we were to go and read, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospel accounts, the stories of, of Jesus, we would see that Jesus is constantly saying he's going to be crucified and resurrected, or buried and then resurrected. I mean, that this, this wasn't a secret. He repeatedly, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, he repeatedly urges his disciples on day three, don't go looking for me in the tomb. Don't go looking for life in a graveyard. And that makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense to us. So much so that If you're like me, I wanna point my finger at these women and kinda laugh a little bit like he told y'all he wasn't gonna be there. And I could do that. And we could point and we could laugh a little bit if you and I weren't prone to doing the exact same thing, looking for life in a graveyard. Each and every single one of us is guilty of of looking for satisfaction, for safety, for security, for fulfillment, looking for life where it will never be found. For Adam and Eve, it was a piece of fruit. When we look to anything to give us what only God can give us, it's called idolatry. Adam and Eve looked at a piece of fruit Now, we want to think, right, at first, well, that piece of fruit must have been just absolutely out of this world. And it probably was. The real idol wasn't the piece of fruit. The real idol was themselves. They thought they knew better than God. Their creator, who told them how life works and and how to live in a a state of flourishing, eh, didn't believe it. Because their, I guess, greatest idol in themselves was this pursuit of knowledge and higher consciousness. Now, that's kind of fancy to think about, but man, look at all of the other ways that you and I are guilty of looking for life in a graveyard in our possessions and finances. Hello, America. In our jobs, the places we live in our relationships, good heavens, in politics. Help us, Lord. In entertainment, in our very bodies, in our anatomy. We are all of us, in the predicament of Adam and Eve, we are all of us looking for life in a graveyard. If you have ever said to yourself or thought to yourself, if I only had that car I've been wanting, I would be satisfied. I would really be satisfied. Or just a little more money in the savings account and then I'd be set. I'd be safe. Friends, read the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon had every Luxury on the planet. He had every security that money could afford. But do you know what he did not have in those things? Fulfillment, life, satisfaction. And we needn't look any further than Hollywood. My goodness, read, if you dare, read the cover of a magazine while you're waiting in line at the grocery store. Look at these celebrities. They have everything. And yet, they are in and out of absolute clinical, rehab, manic, depression, suicide. Looking for life where it will never be found. If there were people around us that we could point to and say, look, they have everything, they're fulfilled. It would be the stars. It would be the athletes. It would be Hollywood. Would it not? And it's just absolutely empty. Maybe you're looking for life in vocation and location, your job and where you're at. If you've ever thought to yourself, now be honest, this type of job, in this particular city, living in this kind of neighborhood, that's all I'd need and I would finally be happy. We'll read the book of Esther. We just finished it. A hazardous King Ahasuerus was made, but he was miserable. He was miserable. If we were meant to find true life in any of these things we desire, surely one of us would have found it by now. Surely. But the great philosopher C.S. Lewis nails it home when he says, if I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. What about relationships? Looking for life in a graveyard, are you looking to another human being, another creature to complete you in a way that only the creator can? are we glued to social media because we are terrified of missing out terrified of not being able to like that person's picture or have our post favorited what about our own bodies look at the discontentment in our physical bodies in this country I mean, we are now, we're, 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 we're flying the coop. If I don't like being a man anymore, I become a woman. If you don't like being a woman anymore, you become a man. And all of us are groping for satisfaction and fulfillment, yet look around, we're all miserable. <laughs> if only my biceps would be bigger, My wife says, amen, (laughs) right? These are the things that we are constantly thinking about. My goodness, I need to ask myself, and so do you. Now, these are trivial. Some of these are just silly examples. We need to ask ourselves, though, where are we looking for life? And we're wandering around a graveyard. Because Jesus tells us himself in his Bible that money will never secure you. Ever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how much you have. You will never feel secure with the amount of money that's in your bank account. This is why we have billionaires walking the planet who still work. You ask them. I've read an interview. Because it's not enough. Another billion would be enough. Possessions will never fulfill you. Ever, ever, ever. Relationships never completely. Jobs never establish you. Politics will never quench you. Entertainment never delight you. Your body will never appease you. Don't we know this to be true, though? Deep down, deep down, we know this to be true. And so this morning, friends, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are in relation to your relationship with Jesus, but Jesus is saying Today, this morning, to you. Brother, it's day three. Stop looking in the tomb because I'm not there. Sister, it's day three. Stop looking in the tomb because I'm not there. Now, please don't take this as condemnation this morning. Take this as invitation. If you're here and you recognize... That when it comes to the search for true life, you recognize that you're lost without a map. I have wonderful news for you this morning. The whole reason why Jesus came to earth in the first place was to seek and save the lost. He tells us plainly in Luke chapter 5 that he did not come for those who think they know the way, he came for those who know they're lost. He did not come for those who think they are well. He came for those who know they are sick. With idols. With sin. With all of these lesser gods that I have given my worship to. All of us. It's not just Adam and Eve. It's a bit of a trend throughout all of humanity. We have given ourselves money and possessions and wealth and power all the greed that comes with it the lust thinking that sex will fulfill it never does it never does it wasn't intended to this is why you know jesus's words in luke 5 he came for the sick for those who know they're sick for those who know they're lost in idolatry this is why we see throughout the gospels we see prostitutes and thieves and murderers coming in droves to jesus they know they're lost they know that money and possessions and sex are ultimately as empty as the tomb Jesus says in his Bible and his word over and over and over that these things will never truly satisfy. The prostitutes, the drunkards, the swindlers, they know this. They come to Jesus in droves. But do you know who does not know this? The religious folks. It's the church people in scripture, the good people who we don't see coming to Jesus in droves. Why? Because if you're looking in the tomb of religion, the sense of emptiness usually does not compel you to entrust yourself to the righteous work of Jesus, but rather the empty idol of religion compels us to the self righteous work of ourselves. You could add religion at the bottom of all of those categories that I have just listed because when our viewpoint is that we are going to read this and we're gonna show up on Easter Sunday with our jacket ironed and we're gonna show up to community group on Wednesday night when our position is doing these things so that Jesus will accept us, it is an empty tomb that will never satisfy The gospel that we have seen in this passage and in these words this morning is that even in religion, we have the ability to be wandering around looking for Jesus when he is nowhere to be found. His position as resurrected Lord is an invitation to each and every one of us, no matter what our idol is, no matter what tomb we're looking in, his invitation is that we would come to him as needy people today. That we would come to him and that we would say, we believe, Lord, I believe that you looked upon my sinful, helpless state you looked upon it from heaven in glory, and you descended down. You came down to meet me where I am. You do not ask me to pick myself up and, 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 and raise up to your level. You came down, and your rescue mission was that even my self-righteousness, as I look in the empty tomb of, of religion, even my self-righteousness, Jesus, you would bear on your shoulders along with all of these other idols we've looked at. You would become these very idols of ours and you would die, you would kill them. You would empty them of their power and buried in the tomb and raised to life, conquering the grave. You now invite us, not into a tomb, but into life to come to Jesus and to receive, to receive freely, Freely, the satisfaction that only Jesus can give us. So at the beginning of this time, I looked at a couple of apologetics. You know, It's the evidence why the tomb was empty. There is more evidence to be found and that is when you and when I get before the Lord on our knees and we simply say, God, if you are there, if you are indeed real, fill me, lead me to yourself. And he does, and he does, and he does again and again and again. If you are like me, I've been raised in the church. I get to do this for a living. I'm a pastor. I am, my heart is so full of idols. It's not even funny. And so as I prepared, I get to ask the Lord again, where am I looking for life where it can't be found? Bring me back. Save me. From my sin, Jesus, remind me that you are the all-sufficient, all-fulfilling, all-satisfying creator God for whom I was made. The whole reason why these gospel accounts are even recorded. The entire reason for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. John summarizes really nicely in John chapter 20. He says this, these things are written, all of these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I would urge you, if you have never come before Jesus and simply told him, I'm struggling with even believing in your reality but would you please reveal yourself to me? If you're there, reveal yourself to me in a way that is absolutely undeniable. Fill my heart, let that be the proof. Fill my heart and bring me a satisfaction that is otherworldly. For the person who prays that with earnest, he will answer that, he will answer that. And in the meantime, if you struggle with the lack of evidence of the resurrection, if we wanna do this, I would be glad to meet with you. I love to drink coffee. We could walk through all sorts. I mean, we hit the tip of the iceberg today. I would love to do that with you. And as for the church, today, better than any other day I can think of, After this gathering, as we, you know, for those of us who can stay and eat in the cafe, would love to eat with you and celebrate the resurrection. What a better day. What better day than today, than throughout this day? To maybe whoever we're with, to pause for a moment, to pray together, to do it a couple of times today and to just simply ask the Lord, what tombs are we looking in for life today? Rescue us. Why are we looking for life in a graveyard, rescue us, bring us back to you, satisfy us, fulfill us only with Jesus. He would answer that prayer too, amen? These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, this is the good news that you have empowered us to believe and to live and to proclaim this wonderful, miraculous news that none of us can wrap our heads around. We can't. That Jesus, the sinless Jesus, became sin and he died in the place of sinners so that we could become righteous as he is, so that we might live with you forever. Lord, lead us to repentance today. Let us fling down our idols and the places that we are looking for life. Let us return to our creator, the only one who can satisfy our hungry souls. Yes, and amen. Amen.